take their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by foods, since those involved in them have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle do not have a right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will, who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honourably in everything. And I especially urge you to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace, who brought, you, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with all that is good to do uh, his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Glory belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released if he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy greet you. Grace be with all of you. Alrighty, well, uh, I want to say a massive welcome to you all. It is great to be at church. And, and um, if you don't know me, my name is Chris. I'm one of the, the ministers here. Um, and I just want to echo uh, what Holly said. There are so many different people that, that serve in so many different ways. And I just want to also just say a massive thank you uh, to those that serve in kids ministry and youth ministry, those that lead up the front, those that are behind the scenes and, and you don't really know what they do, but they do it faithfully week in, week out. You know who you are and I just want to say a massive thank you. It is so cool that when, when you are saved, you actually come into God's family and we actually get to serve God as family. So thank you. Um, I have the privilege of opening up God's word for us. Um, but before we do that and before we finish off uh, this leadership series um, in the last couple of chapters in the book of Hebrews, uh, I'm just going to pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just... We come before you tonight and I'm just so aware that there's probably so many different things that are, that are buzzing in our heads. We're thinking about the, the call we've got to make tomorrow or even tonight. We're thinking about the email we needed to reply to. We're thinking about that conversation we had yesterday. There, there's probably so many different things buzzing in our minds. But Father, I pray that right here, right now, we would stop and sit. And listen to what you have to say. 
Would you encourage us? Would you build us up? And would you keep us centered upon your son? Please do this in your strength and power. And I pray all these things in Christ's awesome and precious name. Amen. Uh, I think we, we live in a world today that, that loves the new. We love things being new and fresh and hip and happening. Um, see, I've, I've got a phone, but I've got an iPhone SE. And so many people think, Chris, you've got an iPhone SE. You are living in the dark ages. What is going on? I mean, that is just way, way, way ancient history. We love change. We love things being fresh. Like when you think about Gangnam Style, that just seems like, when even was that? Or when you think about the Water Bucket Challenge or Pokemon Go, which actually has made a bit of a comeback. Or Fortnite, which is around today, but there's going to be something new tomorrow. Things are constantly changing. Even when it comes to fashion, there was this, this period where fluoro was in and then that kind of moved to the blacks and the whites. And now double denim has made a comeback. So good. Things are just changing, always updating. Um, last week, I was chatting to Shanos's brother, Luke, and he was talking to me about electric cars, the Tesla car, and how that's the way of the future. And when I, when I hear about all this stuff, I'm not going to lie, it's really exciting because I love things that are new. I love things that are fresh, and it's, it's really, really cool. But here's the thing. I think sometimes we can, we can take that thinking and we can take it to Jesus. And some of us might be tempted to put the spotlight on him and ask the question, does Jesus need a change? Does the gospel need a freshening up, need a new coat of paint? Does the gospel need a bit of a revamp? Fair question. I'm sure that there's people within and even outside the church that have perhaps asked that. I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, which pre-read for us. Let me read Hebrews 13, verse 8. And if you've got your sermon outlines, they're going to be super helpful to have open. Let me read. It says this. The author says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, in this ever-changing world that we live in, there is one thing that is sure, that is steady, that remains, that has remained from generation to generation to generation, who remains the same today and will remain the same forever into eternity, and that is Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean our methods of telling people the gospel won't slightly alter. They will, but he won't. Because the author says sometimes it could be tempting to update him, to revamp him, to drift or to shift. But we mustn't, the author says. We absolutely mustn't. And that's why he goes on in verse 9 and, and says this, Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. In other words, don't drift, don't shift. For it is good for the heart to be established by 
grace, by Jesus, by the gospel, and not by foods, since those involved in them have not benefited. See, Jesus doesn't change, and this passage says Jesus is the center. He is the center of life, and he's the center of salvation. And that's why this passage, and in fact the whole book of Hebrews, says that Jesus is better. He is the main deal. He is the main thing. And so our overarching call from this passage well, is to keep the main thing, the main thing. It's to keep Jesus at the center. And the author backs this up. He gives us reason as to why this is the case. Let me read from verse 10. And he says this. We have an altar. An altar from which those who serve the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burnt outside the camp. See, a bit of context in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has talked a lot about the Old Covenant. When, when we look back in the Old Testament, it's talked a lot about the law, where God set up a sacrificial system, where your sins would be forgiven for a time when the blood of animals was shed for you from a high priest. And the specific thing that's happening here, the specific thing that the author is mentioning is the Day of Atonement. Now, this would happen once a year. The high priest would come and would get some young bulls and young goats and he would sacrifice them. And he would sacrifice them for all the people. And this was a really big deal, the Day of Atonement. But instead of eating the meat, the meat that was killed, the dead animals, they were taken outside the city. They were taken outside the camp and burned. It says this in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh and intestines are to be burned up. A bit gruesome, really. But that's what happened. The author is referring to this day that the Jews would practice. But now, in verse 12, he takes this and he turns our attention to Jesus. Let me show you. Let's read in verse 12. He says this, Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. See, the repetition of outside the gate or outside the camp is really interesting. See, outside the camp, that's where the carcasses, that's where the dead animals were disposed. See, outside the camp was marked with shame. And what does it say? Jesus also suffered outside the gate, outside the camp. That shows us that Jesus' death, it wasn't glamorous. In a book I read on the crucifixion of Jesus by F. Rutledge, it says this, Jesus was ingloriously pinned up alongside two of society's casts off to die horribly, discarded onto the garbage heap of humanity, scornfully forsaken. 
the cross, where Jesus died, it, it looked foolish and shameful. Verse 12, therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate. But it goes on. So that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. See, the call here for the Jewish, for some Jewish readers, but for us also, is not to go back inside the camp. Is not to go back to the law, to the old system, to ticking the boxes, to going to the blood of goats and bulls, because they're not going to save you. They're not going to cut it. But we must go outside the camp to the place of Calvary. We must go to the cross. We must go to Jesus, who is our better altar, who is our better sacrifice. For there, people might see us as being foolish. We might be shamed. But it is only through the blood of Jesus that we can be saved. Like in the song we're going to sing after this, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I've been snorkeling a bunch of times and generally it's with my family and I was a horrible brother. I, I, whenever I went snorkeling, I just always tried to scare my sisters. It was always so fun. You just, you, you grow up and just kind of tickle their neck and watch them squirm. But I, I love snorkeling. But Helen's always told me, Chris, snorkeling is okay, but really you should go scuba diving. That's, you, you think you can see stuff when you think you're cool and you dive under and then you come up and spurt the water out. But you really got to go scuba diving. That's where you're going to see the good stuff. And, and I've sort of thought, yeah, it would be cool. But if I went scuba diving, I, I could take a bunch of different things. I could take different flippers. I could get a wetsuit. It probably wouldn't matter too much what sort of wetsuit I took. It probably wouldn't matter too much if I took a camera or different things that I had. But there would be one thing that I would absolutely 100% need. It would be the oxygen tank. If I left without that, I'd be in a lot of trouble. We're not snorkeling anymore. We're going scuba diving. For scuba diving, you need the oxygen tank. That is the main thing. And in this passage, we see that Jesus, Jesus is the centerpiece of life and salvation. He died once for all. For all of our sin, we're saved not by what we do. It's not by our good works. It's not by being a good bloke. It's not by that. It's all him. It's by trusting in him completely. And our job is to keep Jesus the main thing. Maybe you're here tonight and you're still trying to check him out and let me encourage you to come to him. It is only by his blood that you can be made right with God. But for us who do love him, who do trust him, this passage goes on. And the author says, well, 
Our task is to keep the main thing the main thing. And for you, it goes on and says, well, here's our response. Here is the fruit or the outworkings of a life that is centered on Jesus. And so we're going to look at four things, four of the fruits of a life centered on Jesus. They're in your sermon outline. So the first thing we see here is that a life centered on Jesus longs for heaven. Um, I work at Arndell School for a day and a bit teaching um, scripture and things and often I go on the, the camps and the last couple of years I've been on year nine camp which is, which is the bronze Duke of Ed camp where you do lots of hiking and canoeing and it's so much fun. I love it. Um, it's pretty funny. In the first day, the, the group of boys, they're pumped. They're ready to go. They got their, they got their packs on and they're, they're keen and they're eager. But as you get to day two and day three, the daydreaming starts. And the daydreaming starts becoming verbal. And they all start dreaming about when they will lie on the couch at home. They all start dreaming about the hot shower they will have. They all start dreaming about the burger they're going to pick up from a porto as they drive home. They love the camp, but they're all dreaming of home. Why? Well, because they've been living in tents. And the life centered on Jesus knows that life here on earth is like camping. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 4 says this, For while we are in this tent, in other words, while we are on earth, we groan and are burdened. The life centered on Jesus, we know that life is like a breath. And this life isn't all there is. And so they're they're homesick. They actually long for their better home, that enduring city where they will see their saviour face to face. It says it here in verse 14. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come, yearning for that better dwelling and actually seeking to bring others with us. That's what it looks like when we're centred on Jesus. We actually are, are seeking and longing after heaven. See, when we drift, when we drift from the cross, we can so easily become content here. And I can do this. Building heaven here for ourselves on earth. Just getting more and more stuff. Because if if we knew that Jesus was coming back tonight, which we don't, he said, you'll never know the time and the hour. But if we did know that Jesus was coming back here tonight, I wonder how many of us would think, oh, Can you hold off for a few years? I've still got some things to do here. I've still got some things to tick off. Because we've gotten comfortable. See, the life centered on Jesus longs for heaven. Is homesick. Is that you? Is that you? That's the first thing. The second thing is that the life centered on Jesus praises him. Let me read from verse 15. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. 
Because I think, I think sometimes when we think about singing here at church, many people think oh, that's a bit of a strange thing. It's a bit of a weird thing. And in one sense, well, we, our world doesn't really do it that much instead, instead if you're at a concert or at a sporting game. But if you're a person that is centered on Jesus, singing is one of the most natural things you can do. Because you know the king, the king whose love is better than life. It's one of the most natural things to do. It's just, it just bubbles over. It's an overflow of a heart that's rooted on him. The writer urges us to offer to him a sacrifice of praise from our lips. See, if we're drifting off Jesus, if we're drifting off the center, instead of using our lips to praise him, we could use them to tear down others or even keep silent. We could use our lips to instead of singing praises to God, to add fuel to rumors, to spark gossip, to speak harshly, or even to deny Jesus. How do you use your lips? There are people in our world that are pretty carefree with their words. You could probably think of some names, like maybe Donald Trump. Sometimes I'm a little bit carefree. But the life that is centered on Jesus praises him. Is that you? Thirdly, the life centered on Jesus does good to others. Let me read from verse 16. It says this, Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. See, the life centered on Jesus, they, they know the cross, they know Calvary, and we're impacted by it. It's not this cold intellectual fact, but it's actually impacted us. We see that Jesus didn't come to be served himself, but he came to serve us. And so we just go, I actually want to care about other people. That so goes against our sinful nature. Our sinful nature is all about ourselves. I mean, who's the first person you look at when you get a school photo or when you had school photos? It would be yourself. See, when we start to drift off him, instead of serving others, we, we look back on ourselves. We look out for, we love, we care, we indulge. Who? Us. Us. The life centered on Jesus does good to others. Is that you? We've seen that if, we're, if we have Jesus as our centerpiece, we, we long for heaven. We ought to be longing for heaven and praising him and, and doing good to others. But finally, and this might seem a bit odd to you, but finally the life centered on Jesus submits to leadership. Let me read from verse 17. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over you and your souls as those who will give an account, so they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. 
See, this whole thing about leadership, as Greg said last week, it it makes us as Australians uncomfortable. It really does. We we love cutting down the tall poppy and and sometimes we might view leadership or the leader as that tall poppy and we we don't like that. There's this cynicism, this sceptical attitude that we have about leadership. But if we're rooted and our lives are around Christ, then... We trust the way he's set things up. We trust the way he's established his church. When we drift off him, instead of seeking to make our leader's task a joy, we might undermine. Or we might even just think, I'll just do my own thing. It's a hard thing to hear, but we're called to get behind God's leaders that he's given us. Is that you? Is that you? This whole section, as I said, is about keeping the main thing the main thing. Keeping Jesus right at the center. But as as Holly said, and as I said at the start, this is the last week in our leadership series. And so, if you're a leader here, So I'm speaking to myself. So if you are a staff member or if you're on parish council or if you are leading a ministry like youth or kids or if you're on any sort of leadership, I want to speak to you for a moment directly. This is your task. This is your cause to keep Jesus at the center. This may seem overly simplistic, but it is Hard and it is vital. See, keeping him at the center of your life, yes, it's, it's keeping him at the center of your speech, but also on your Monday mornings. The way that you live. It's surrendering to him in your decisions, in your motivations in ministry, in the, in the conversations that you have. It's always going to be tempting to move him out of the spotlight and put ourselves there. But we mustn't and we can't. Verse 7 says, and calls others to imitate the faith of leaders. And we need to ask, would we want someone to imitate our faith? Would we want someone to imitate our faith? I know we're not perfect, but we must have Jesus as our highest priority and cause and anthem. He must be our everything that we're seeking after. He is our only hope and he is the only hope for the Hawkesbury, which we are passionate and praying to see one for Christ. I say this to our leaders, but also I say it to us all. I'm so thankful that we are at a church that keeps Jesus at the center. But we must continue to keep the main thing the main thing. Let me finish by reading from verses 20 to 21. And the writer says this, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, with the blood of of the everlasting covenant equip you with all that is good to do his will 
working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Glory belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray as the, the band... No, let me just pray. Not as the band comes up. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. Keep Jesus at the center of our lives and help us not to drift and shift off of him. In his name, amen.